You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to the 602 Club, Trek FM's local watering hole. I don't know where in the galaxy we're coming from because we I feel like we've been flying all over it. But, um, you know, it's nice to lounge here on the Silver Angel and hang out with uh, two great friends. I'm so glad they're here. Uh, John Mills and Christy Morris are back this week. Uh, Christy, you're always here, and John, we can't seem to get him to leave. There's this, this smell of a cot over in the corner there. Uh, but uh, welcome back, both of you. Stop serving good beer. I'll stop showing up. Problem solved. There you go. I'm an innovator. <laughs> and you need me because I'm the best pilot. So That's right. You, you, you do, go. and you have a really there fast ship. So, a really yeah. fast ship. It um, needs a better name, but I'm working yeah. on it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. I mean, I guess I've heard worse, like the aluminum falcon. Like, come on. Like, come on. Anyway, uh, (laughs) Star Wars fans have already stopped listening. Uh, So welcome to the 602 Club. We're so glad you're here. We are going to be talking about the final season of The Clone Wars. It has finally arrived. It is here. It is finished. And now we are going to talk about it. Um, You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. But if you're over on Apple Podcasts, uh, help us out. Give us a star rating review. Let people know what you think of the show, uh, and uh, we'll read that review out on the uh, podcast, like we did last week with Diner Kenobi. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter, at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. There is a listeners-only discussion group for listeners all over the world for Trek FM on Facebook. It's called the Babel Conference. So you can get to that on Facebook and join and talk to listeners from all over the world. Uh, we've got Trek.FM, which has a contact section, which is another place where you can reach out to us. And uh, you can send Christy and I an email. So maybe you have some ideas of things we could cover while there's no movie theater action happening. Uh, we love that. Um, John yes, is actually, please. yeah, he's he, he, he actually was responsible for our last show which was fantastic, and uh, we had some great responses to that. So thank you, John. Uh, my pleasure. And anything I can do to help. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, that's that's a different attitude than normal, so I appreciate your behaving yourself. Well, that's because Christy is here. Oh, that's true. I, I will help Christy. <laughs> oh, okay. You, whatever. This, so, this is not the go. treatment I get on aggressive negotiations. So, um, <laughs> It's better. Uh, it is. It is. Um, maybe this is because <laughs> this is my show. Uh, anyway, uh, and not our show. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> this is going very Jay Cutler, Kristen Cavallari right now. Um, okay, so I did just want to ask before we dive into the arcs real quick, because um, we're going to talk about each of the arcs here that we get. But I, I, I kind of wanted to know uh, what your relationship with the Clone Wars is, because every Star Wars fan kind of has their own story with this show. And so, Christy, I'm really interested because I have no idea how you first found the show and if you were a fan of it at the beginning and, and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear just kind of uh, 
what your process was for falling because I know at this point now you love it. So what Mm -hmm. led to that? It was all Michael's fault. (laughs) As most things are. That's the story of marriage, right? You blame it on your spouse. Um, There you go. Yeah, I I actually um, did not discover Clone Wars until my husband and I were married. And we were just talking one day about like, you know, why don't we go ahead and watch the films in order again or something, you know, thinking about something to do on a Friday night, I guess. And um, he said, oh, wait, no, it looks like all of Clone Wars is on Netflix. So um, we could just stream it. And um, I was like, what's Clone Wars? And he goes, blasphemy. (laughs) He didn't know. I had never heard of it and never seen it. So my husband introduced it to me on Netflix. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. I'm no, I'm so I'm yeah, no, no, I I, I'm really happy to hear that just because it's it's one of those things where I was uh, you know, I think Matt and I we've talked about this from time to time, but you know, on all different places and everything, but like um I was highly skeptical, went in, saw it in the theater. Uh, actually saw it with uh two friends, uh a married couple, actually. My wife said, No, I'm good. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I went with them and so I had the most awkward third wheel date in history. <laughs> but uh we went there and there was barely anybody in the movie theater and we sat down and my whole attitude was, eh, you know, I mean, we'll see. Like I I was going out of a sense of obligation to Star Wars. I was like, eh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can't not see a Star Wars movie. And I remember at the end of it, um, it was uh, Carl was the the guy's name. Carl and I looked at each other and we both said, oh, that, was, that was actually really good. Yeah, that was. And so it became a uh, tradition where when it started airing, I would go over to their house and uh, uh, Kristen would you know she'd make dinner or something like that. they didn't have any kids so it was like basically me and carl goofing around and kristen was a fan too and we'd sit down and we'd watch clone wars every week and so Aww. from there it's yeah i i mean it, it, it was it, it was something special uh just from the beginning and i still remember seeing um that first yoda i i, I the, the titles of the episodes always elude me but um you know, the, the first aired episode with Yoda and then the rise of malevolence and piecing together suddenly that things weren't necessarily in order and that there were going to be one offs as well as arcs. And it was like that was exciting and different, too. So, yeah, you know, loved it since the beginning. Sorry, I rambled. No, no, My that's great. It's a great story. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think it's just it, it shows you know, kind of the power of, of Star Wars to kind of bring people together that you wouldn't necessarily think, you know, like uh, hanging out with uh, a married couple friend, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and then mm-hmm. having those dinner dates to watch Clone Wars is great. Um, I was working at Barnes and Noble at the time. I was finishing up grad school and I was seeing all the merchandise that we were getting. You know, we were getting the novelization by Karen Travers and other things like that. And so I was actually kind of excited i thought it looked really cool um i still even have the uh, tv guide issue uh that has the cd rom on it and, and today on uh as as we're recording today i was sharing uh some videos and stuff from that because this is the this is actually 12 years to the day as we're recording this um in, on may 7th 2020 12 years ago, the first trailer for the show or for the movie dropped. And so 
sharing that stuff. So I have that still that has all these old videos on it where Dave Filoni just looks really uncomfortable um, talking on camera for the first time, really. <laughs> he's just, he's not himself mm-hmm. yet, you know, that Dave we all know and love now, who's, you know, pretty comfortable about, eh, you know, I'm not going to tell you anything, but <laughs> I'll tease. So sly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it was fantastic. Our, John, our friend Nick, is in one of those videos too, which is really cool because he's just walking around uh, Black Rock, yeah, uh, Big Rock, just introducing himself uh, to and introducing us to all the people behind the scenes. So, um, so I was excited to go to the theater, and I saw it opening day. Like you, John, there weren't very many people in the theater. Went to some friends from work, and I came out of the movie theater. I really loved it. Like it just worked for me. There was something about it that just felt like Star Wars. So, you know, I fell in love with this show, and it it legitimately over time has become one of my absolute all-time favorite things in Star Wars. And so, of course, you know, I think I think we all share this part. You know, when it was canceled, I just was heartbroken, and I was so mad. Um, I just mm-hmm. was livid, actually. So Yeah, the second one. I, I was going to say I wasn't heartbroken. I was, you know, I know it's a family show, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. I was pissed. I was like, yeah. you did what? Like, I, I was so angry. Like, it was literally, that was one of those decisions that flipped me from, well, it's not such a bad thing that this, and we canceled Clone Wars. I was like, this is a bad deal. I hate this. This is terrible. Like, it literally turned me against the whole thing. This deal keeps getting worse all the time. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. but they took, they took something that I loved, and they took it away from me. And it was like the first act. It's like somebody walking into your house, just like, hey, it's nice to meet you. And then they like, you know, they like push your favorite lamp on the floor. And it's like, well, oh, that's not a good way to start things, guys. Like that, Party that's foul. actually a bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they don't even apologize for yeah. it. They just like walk off and you're like, well, what the hell just happened? Yeah. So, no, yeah. hey, that's how I feel all the time with my other fandom, which is Joss Whedon shows. <laughs> Ah, yeah, well, <laughs> Firefly. He, he fares a little bit better than uh, he he fares a little bit better than Brian Fuller at least. <laughs> oh, okay. So, you know. <laughs> Brian Fuller can't even get a show made anymore, like with him so attached to <laughs> yeah. it. So, uh, but yeah, so I think yeah, we were all on the same page with Clone Wars getting canceled because we're all sitting here going, I can't even fathom why. Like in your mind right. as a fan, you're thinking it's doing so great. Yeah, but. Well, well, I mean, the thing is, I know that that's all corporate stuff that we don't even like we're not getting into. Yeah, the numbers. But yeah, no, but I mean, it's it's like, you know, you look at uh, the merger with Fox and everything. Disney's first move always is to kill anything that it can't brand as its own. You know, that must die and, you know, uh, or, or be released ignominiously and let it like fade off into the sunset. There's this very. You know, it, it, it's a pattern is what I'm mm-hmm. saying. So. Yeah, I I mean, so thank the maker that, you know, a few years ago we all got the surprise that uh, Clone Wars was saved. I'm wearing the official shirt uh, tonight as we're recording, and um, I could not have been happier. Uh, I may have, have done some dancing around my house. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not ashamed to say it. Did uh, you tear up? I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially I, seeing that trailer. I remember where... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember where I was when I heard the news for the first time. It was a very special moment. Yeah. Special. It was pretty awesome. So we get three arcs here to return to the Clone Wars. And uh, 
we're going to do something a little different uh, here on the 602 Club. Normally, we kind of break things down by all these different categories and things like that. But we're really just going to kind of talk about each of these arcs. Uh, and so, you know, uh, the first one we get is the Bad Batch, which is one that was actually released uh, online as just the animatics. So m- I'd already seen this before. Um, but uh, some of the things have changed a little bit from from the original animatics that they did. Uh, and I have to say, too, I think even just coming into this this first uh, arc back into the Clone Wars, um, you know, every season continually upgraded the quality. And this, mm-hmm. I think, just immediately the quality of the Clone Wars has jumped by like tenfold, it feels like. From the animation, where, yes, mean? exactly. Yeah, from where we even left it, which in season season uh, the Lost Missions of the Clone Wars, fantastic, just hands down, just great stuff. The animation looks great there, but this is just it's on a whole nother level, and um, so to me that immediately just spoke to the fact that we're pouring every single thing we can into this to make it what you deserve as fans. And and to me, that's one of the things that really stuck out here in this first arc is that the love was just coming out of every single scene. Um, and I really kind of loved that this arc was one that felt kind of like classic Clone Wars where, uh, you know, the, the arcs of the Clone Wars, uh, especially in those middle seasons, it's we're going to kind of pull a genre from movies and we're going to kind of do that genre uh, mm-hmm. as a Star Wars style, you know, so we we'll, we did the monster movie style. We'll do the, the, the noir style, you know, we'll do all these different types of little political intrigue style. This one was the eighties action movie style, which, you know, us just having talked about, um, predator was hilarious because so many of these things we see in the bad batch actually feel like that type of movie, which was brilliant. Yeah. Like definitely for me with the guy, I, I don't remember all of their names, but the guy leading the Bad Batch with the bandana reminded Hunter. me Hunter. Yeah, reminded me so much of Rambo. Yeah, but or also since we did just see Predator. Um, oh, I'm blanking on the name, but uh, you know, guy who cuts his chest. Yes, yes. You know the great yes. tracker. Yeah, that, that they had. There, there were shades of him in there too. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I I fell in love actually with Wrecker. Because I like, I immediately fell in love with him. Like that's that's my spirit animal character of those four. I was like, that's my guy. I love those types of guys. And the, and the thing is, it goes for the genre, but it also goes for those amazing uh, characterizations. Um, you know, they're, they're they're archetypes, and it's you know, it's the it's the four buddies, the war hero, you know, the 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 you know, dirty dozen and and Hogan's heroes and all you know all of these different you know guys who've been bonded by war sort of thing, and it's so it was so cool. Like it, it's what was great about them uh, in specific is I think it really fulfills the promise of the Clone Wars uh, of its mission statement in the beginning to be about these clones, these side characters. You know, to give some real depth to what's going on and we've spent all of these seasons with the clones and we've learned a lot about their own idiosyncrasies and their own hierarchies and those sorts of things and then we wind up coming here and we find out that we have outcasts but what we see in and of that cell within that on its own is this sense that the outcasts are not 
thrown away. They're still members. They're still part of the family. They and and the thing is, like knowing now, especially with the season ended and everything like that, I think about the Bad Batch constantly because there's there's definitely going to be that whole question of like, well, okay, Rex made it through. Did they? Did their chips not? get put in did they not function right like what you know what's going on with them and being so interested especially now that echo is a part i'm sorry i you know i know i jumped in and just started rambling but i i just i really reacted very very well that that first arc yeah i mean that was the goal of this whole episode is we're just gonna jump in whenever (laughs) okay sorry yeah yeah I, I'm with you 100%. I think that it was awesome, especially seeing how from the get go with the Clone Wars and even in the prequels, they were showing that just because they're clones doesn't mean that they're all the same. Um, I love that they've now really dug in with that and said, you know, these are even more different and totally don't follow orders. They've decided to go off on their own and do what they want to do and to heck with the rules. And I love getting to see that they still kind of have that respect for each other as we're all clones. We're still kind of all one big family, but also, you know, they got into fights sometimes. They didn't always agree with Rex. And um, I I love that uh, sometimes it was at his expense on their missions. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. 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 No, right. That, that, that the outcasts, I mean, Maybe there's some sort of primal thing as, you know, the the word has sort of like lost meaning, but like nerds, quote unquote, can sort of identify with that idea of, you know, it, it's almost going back to, to school or, or even in the workplace or whatever, how you have cliques, how you're all part of the family. And it would be very easy for these four to feel like outcasts, but they have formed their own society. It's their own protective shell. Mm-hmm. And so Rex becomes the outsider and we start to experience Rex as uncomfortable because he doesn't get all of their, their vibe and everything like that. And so there's a, a really interesting layer, you know, just put in on top of that where it's like Rex gets the experience of what it's like not to be the accepted de facto, you know, commander of it all. Like he's he's the outsider. He's the he's the the new kid, as it were. Or like they're all like, "You're not the alpha here," and he's like, "What?" But I'm right. always the alpha. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. That's something that yep. I thought was really interesting too, because you know this arc plays heavily in with Anakin's relationship with the clones, and one of the things that we see here is that Anakin is with these Maverick clones who do things completely differently than the normal military structure. I mean, they're, they are the specialists. They're the ones that get called in when they, because they can do what other people can't. And they've literally been bred to do what they do. They, they've been bred with the mutations that they have, almost kind of like X-Men. They're like the X-Men clones, you know? <laughs> yes. Um, which is really cool. And they're made to be this special fighting commando force that it really isn't under anybody's jurisdiction that's the crazy thing too is like there rex even asked like who do you res- you know like report to and they're like nobody basically you know so your question mm-hmm. john about what happens to these guys i think is a really valid one because do they even have the chips um and if they do would they work right. correctly since they have these mutations and also i think cr- crazy amount of questions there and especially the fact that 
you know, we end this arc with Echo joining them. It's like, it seems mm-hmm. like that story needs to go somewhere. So I'm really hoping that it does. But I I got off a tangent. But so back to the fact that I love that Anakin's dealing with these mavericks and Anakin finally has to have a taste of his own medicine of what it must be like to serve with Anakin Skywalker when he goes off and does something half cocked and crazy because they do that yes. to him, too. And like he doesn't necessarily know what to expect when he's like, this is a stealth mission. And immediately the doors open and they start blasting everything. It's like, yeah, Anakin, see what it feels like to be with you all the time. Now like, you know what Obi what Obi Wan feels exactly. like. Yeah. This is what Obi Wan feels <laughs> right. like. <laughs> you know, but 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 here here's an interesting question, right? Is this idea of you see this group and you see Anakin, you see Rex? Are you seeing, in a sense, would there have been a place even for the Jedi to have had somebody like Anakin that they send out as a specialist? And that type of guy, you send him out to war and everybody else stays home. You know, instead of sending every Jedi into battle, you send a couple. You know, somebody like Anakin who's going to take to it and you put him in his natural environment and encourage him to find positive ways. Now, of course, you know, we know how Anakin's going to go, but so much of that is the conflict between how he's supposed to be and the way he really is. And I think that in terms of, you know, taste of his own medicine sort of thing. There's very much a, uh, you know, I, I I see an opportunity for the Jedi to have recognized earlier on that they could have been part of the same family. And this is a point everybody's talked about without having the same um, rigid structure imposed on everybody, respecting the differences and allowing those the, their own bad batches out there mm-hmm. instead of saying, no, you you can't marry, you can't have family, you can't have any of these things, you must live here and be solely devoted to the Republic. And and instead, maybe they, they could have had their own, you know, Jedi Force 99 to go out there and take care of problems and recognize that some of the Jedi were, were meant to deal with the politicians and some of the Jedi were meant to go out and kick butt and some of the Jedi were meant to go out and research and mm-hmm. and all of those sorts of things. I see your point for sure. I just think that it's Yoda and Mace Windu would never allow it. <laughs> I think Yoda would have eventually bent. I think Yoda's the one that could have bent eventually. Yeah, maybe. Windu never in a million years. Yeah. Windu yeah. never would have let that fly. No. And Windu showed his true colors in this season. Did he not? Yes, yeah. he did. Yeah. Yes. We immediately yes, he went, did. Oh, you're a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> well, w- but the thing is, Mace has always been a jerk. True. Made, all really the way back to now. Anakin's Anakin's first encounter with the council, Windu was a jerk. Windu immediately pegged himself as that's the first guy Anakin's going to kill because he's he is just an ass, and because he's so so you know so hardcore. But uh, you know at the same time, Windu has a. I, I love that there we we always get those pre echoes with with storylines prequel storylines in Star Wars of Windu talking to the droids in this Bad Batch arc saying listen I I've killed so many of you can we please just not can we just not and Obi Wan looking at him with the raised eyebrow like what what are you doing and Windu was just trying to beg these droids please just surrender I I'm tired I don't want to do this anymore. 
But then in episode three, you sort of see the same thing because Obi-Wan drops down in the middle of all of those droids with Grievous and is like, sup, what's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, like there, there's almost this sort of, you know, echo between their, their two actions there. Yeah, I thought that part was, and, and we're jumping ahead a little bit in the arc, but I mean, I think that was something that, that's one of the things that you see about Mace Windu is that like, yes, he's kind of a jerk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if there's such a thing as like being a good jerk, because, you know, he he's willing to sacrifice himself to try and save this, this uh, facility by telling everybody to get out and he'll try, he'll just guess the last number, right? And, and so, like, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's two sides to Mace Windu. And like you said, John, too, like, he's like, droids, guys, please. Like, I, we could go through the whole thing where I'd kill you all. Or, I mean, you could surrender and then I could give you better lives by reprogramming you and helping you do good in the galaxy. Like, he, you know, uh, that, that's not the sign of a person who's just completely all bad. The problem is, is that no, Mace yeah. Windu is just as, as you know, it is absolutely what Dooku said, or Sidious says, the dogmatic views of the Jedi. Mace Windu is the most dogmatic of all of the Jedi in the sense that he mm-hmm. is so entrenched into the rules and regulations of things that he kind of loses sight of anything else. And, you know, I think, John, your point about the fact that the Jedi should have seen the ability and the need to allow different Jedi to be express themselves in Jediism without necessarily everybody following the same regimented schedule, basically. Um, you know, it just doesn't necessarily make sense. And you can even see here, you know, the, the, the Grand Army of the Republic was able to figure that out because they have this Clone Force 99 that realizes, hey, we got these guys who can do things that nobody else can, and that's good sometimes. And so... I think that's um, just something that, honestly, the Jedi honestly kind of lose throughout the prequel series is that ability. Uh, because, you know, Qui-Gon's dead and all the people who are kind of like people who who might question the Jedi Order in that way are kind of gone. And then everybody gets locked into being a general in a war and they don't have time to think about this stuff. And so it's like right. it, it's the perfect trap. Yeah, I I think it's also interesting because what leads to the problems and leads to them going and looking for Echo is you find out that the clones themselves have been trapped in their own ways. Echo was captured how long ago? Yeah. And they can still tap him to know what they're going to do and anticipate them. And that, I think, is just a lesson right there where even the clones, the uh, Tanwe says, or or it might be Lamasu, one of the two of them says, you know, clones can think creatively, which makes them superior to droids. Well, they can think creatively, but even they have fallen into this trap of, uh, you know, letting themselves get into such a routine that they can be predicted by somebody who hasn't even been in the field with them for mm-hmm. a long time. And that in and of itself is is super, super interesting because I think it shows also... I mean, it winds up being a commentary on what the Empire, uh, you know, winds up symbolizing, which is the the absence of individualism and the, the, the groupthink and the loss of color and the loss of creativity and all of those things that go out when the Empire takes over. You know, when you see at the end of uh, Revenge of the Sith, the, the Star Destroyers suddenly are they lack color. 
and the ships are turning gray and all of this stuff is just becoming less vibrant. And you see that here where the soldiers are just being soldiers. They're not living to their full potential because they're they're trapped in their own ways. Yeah, I, I don't know, too, how uh, either of you maybe possibly looked at it like I was seeing it like football plays. I know it sounds kind yeah. of silly, but it, thinking about how you don't want your other team, you know, your opponent to see your pattern. And so you have to think creatively and come up with something completely out of the box that they won't expect. And so I was waiting to see what Bad Batch was going to come up with every time. I think that that was really interesting. And I mean, it kept me completely hooked for this whole arc just because of that piece, much less the other pieces. Well, and I love their effect on Rex because he begins to kind of pick up some of their ideas. You know, he's like, uh, when they're attacking that smaller outlook post and they're like, so do we like stay here in the shadows and pick them off? And he's like, no, maybe we just take a page from your book and just rush them, you know, like, so <laughs> you can see that, that he's being inspired again, uh, to think creatively. Uh, and, and in many ways, you know, it's kind of what the, the whole reason that the clones themselves are who they are by the end of the series, the fact that they have any personalities is because of all the time they've spent with the Jedi who have been allowing them to, as generals, do things like become their own person, create their own name. You know, you see that some of them have tattoos or different hair or, you know, all redesign their armor. Yeah. They, they become mm -hmm. individuals and, and, and in many ways they become more individualistic sometimes than the Jedi themselves. So I think it's a great mirror uh, of what's going on. Um, now I have to say, I don't want to not talk about one of the best moments from uh, the second episode where Obi-Wan is coming and Anakin is having his little FaceTime with Padme. And yeah. it's just one of the best moments um, when he, you know, Obi-Wan's like, oh, and tell Padme I said hello. Yes. And it's just such a perfect moment because in that moment, like, Obi-Wan is allowing Anakin in, in the sense of like, look, bro, I know there's something that's there between you guys, and I'm trying to get it out in the open. And I just, I like that he opens the door in that way. Like, I know something's going on. You know, maybe we should, I, so let's talk about it. But it's it's very funny. And I just, tell tell Padme I said hello. <laughs> well, I think it's also, I think it's also a reflection because I think that they're, you know, by Revenge of the Sith, Obi-Wan isn't dumb. Bail Organa, you know, when when Anakin excuses himself, has a little smile on his face as he walks off. Everybody, it's an open secret that Anakin has something up uh, with Padme. And I think that for Obi-Wan, he obviously doesn't know the depth of it. But I think that there's also an angle here of they don't, they don't see tomorrow as guaranteed. When, the, when we're in this arc, the Republic is starting to lose... And they're starting to wonder, are we actually going to make it? And so I think that there's very much an angle because it would be very easy to criticize Obi-Wan to say, oh, well, Obi-Wan looked past this. He could have stepped in. He could have said something. But in all truth, Obi-Wan was, was in a way acting out of love because he was saying, 
this isn't the time for us to talk about this. We'll talk about this as soon as we think we're going to live longer than a week into the future. And I, I think that in and of itself is beautiful because I think even through this whole series, even with all of the death and destruction you see, there's still that 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 kernel of hope that Anakin has back in episode one. Nobody can kill a Jedi. You know, they've lost their illusions. They've seen so many brothers and sisters die that those illusions are gone. And they really are just now world-weary and war-torn. And Obi-Wan, I think, is just acknowledging, you know, right now this isn't that big a deal. It's We'll worry about it later. Just because we don't know if we're here for too much longer. Yeah, um, I was going to say to you, I think it's really nice to see that connection again where they really focus on how Anakin and Obi-Wan work together. Um and and even the comedic stuff, like getting to see them trying to face off against the droids on the bridge and Anakin saying, yeah, that whole bit where you were acting all helpless, that really helped out. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think there's something. One of the things I think is it, it just the Clone Wars does such a great job of, of taking these relationships and giving them such depth that a movie just can't do because it doesn't have the time. And here, I think, like you were saying, John, you know, we really do see brothers, right? And and one brother saying to another, I know you got something going on. You know, one day we need to talk about that, basically. But it's maybe it, we're not going to do it now, you know? Um, and, and I think and I also just took it as, hey, I'm not dumb. Yeah, <laughs> that too. Yeah, too. Right. Like, yeah. chop trying to hide stuff from me when I know what's going on. That's, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but I mean, but I mean, there's also, uh, you know, a, a reverse message then of you do need to talk about things, right? Even even if it seems like it's not the right time, it's still the right time to talk about something that's a big problem and pushing off things because you don't want to have a difficult conversation actually leads to problems. It traps you in situations you don't want to be in. You wind up feeling resentment towards somebody. And so I mm-hmm. think that that winds up becoming a component of you know, how can Anakin possibly have resentment toward Obi-Wan? Well, maybe there's even a component after he's trapped in the armor as Vader of, I would have listened to you. Why didn't you talk to me? Why didn't you make me wake? You know, and, and it's, it's not right. I'm not saying Anakin's in his right frame of mind when he thinks in those ways, when he's trapped in the Vader shell, but you can find yourself in those sorts of ways because you're so angry that you are blaming everybody. And so, Obi-Wan should have taken that moment to say explicitly, this is a problem. You know that. This can't go on. You're going to have to make a choice. And maybe even just saying that up front would have led to Anakin, when he gets back to Coruscant, saying, I- I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just leaving the Jedi. That's, I- I'm done. I've done enough. And, you know, go off and live a life with Padme, you know? Yeah, it's really interesting because I've been rereading Dark Disciple. And, um, you know, in that book, Voss, Quinlan Voss falls in love with Asajj Ventress. And he tells her, you know, when their mission is over, the the, the mission is to assassinate Dooku. He, he will leave the order because he wants to be with her. 
And I just think there's such a interesting um, strength in that to say, I know what I want and I'm not going to try and straddle the fence, you know, and Anakin is trying to have his cake and eat it too. And that's really always the whole problem is he's not willing to let go of anything. He wants to have it all. Uh, and you, you can't have it all. You do have to make a choice between one thing or another. You know, um, all of us do. We can't have it all. Um, we just can't. And so you have to make the choice of what's more important to you. And, and Anakin will not make those choices. And that leads to many ways to his destruction as he tries to hold it all together, but, but it's all falling apart. And so, um, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a really good point. And, you know, even going along more with what you were saying, John, it makes you realize how Anakin could then become more and more selfish and like trapped in his own thoughts because he's unwilling to let go of anything and thinks he can just do it all. That he, you know, it drives him continuously in that direction until he can't come back. couple things that I love about this arc. Uh, I love Skako. Uh, minor that they go to i love that the techno union basically looks like a massive like floating flash gordon place in the sky like all the mm-hmm. it just it's so great um the visuals in it are awesome i love that the droids for the techno union kind of look like raptors which is kind of weird and one of them even kind of comes through the door which you look so drastic park the music here in this this is so you know fun and action adventure-y. It's um it has a great theme for the Bad Batch. I love, um and I I think I love this arc because um what it did for me is that it's this is the arc that kind of places Rex uh, in a place where he's going to need to be for the last arc that he's going to be in, and like it in the frame of mind of maybe you know planting that seed that maybe there's something different and and maybe not just for echo maybe even for me you know like you get that feeling when he watches his brother walk away somebody he's been so close to like that there's a yearning maybe to even walk with him you know um so i like that because i think it puts him in a frame of mind to with everything that he's learned to be able to be the rex who's going to be able to kind of sort of fight order 66 enough um just enough you know to give ahsoka important information so i think this arc is is great for that sense um and it's it, to me it's a great lead-in to this last season um and and placing the two most important characters ahsoka and rex where they need to be for their final arc first i just got to mention before i forget um the fact that one anakin gives wrecker the uh detonation for the ship brilliant <laughs> yes uh the yeah. fact that anakin basically goes darth vader when he kills uh um uh, trench is fantastic um you know when he basically says you know i don't have such rules uh and he kills him um it's great and obviously you know trench is trying to kill him too at that moment so anakin is in self defense but his motivation there is is all skewed and wrong um the way that he's handling it hey i'm on anakin's side i'm glad to be rid of that oh ugly i'm glad to be rid of clicking yeah. weirdness and i love <laughs> and i love i love can i just say if you watch in chronological order the very first episode of the clone wars is cat and mouse with trench so for them to have mm-hmm. this here with anakin and him it's like bringing it full circle like it started this way and it ends this way 
I, I actually said after that episode, um, I, I think Matt, you were on this text exchange where I said, Oh, wow, that moment, this, that moment, that, the blah, 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 and Anakin, blah, 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 but Trench was a bastard. He really was like Trench yeah. was a, a gen, <laughs> Trench was a genocidal maniac. And that's the thing, right? Is that's what has always been so great is because in, in terms of the movie arc, I've, I've stuck to my guns over the years and said Anakin actually goes to the dark side at the end of episode or when he kills the Tusken Raiders, he's he's flipped. And the rest of it is him lying to himself and just basically fighting off the inevitable. Now, with Clone Wars, you can argue that point and everything. But just if you just take the three films, I see his turn as in episode two and then he completes his transition at the beginning of episode three. And then it's it's basically just him fighting the inevitable uh, until Windu's death. But it gives you these just the justifiable justifiable homicide moments, right? Like Trench pulls a gun on him. Well, yeah, he's got to kill. Well, he just cut the guy's arms off. Like he sort of pushed Trench into a a, a situation where Trench is like, I, you know, I, I'm going to die no matter what. I got to try to take this guy out just so I can get away. And so you can sit there and say, ah, well, okay, you know, he pulled a gun on it, but Anakin caused that situation and was perfectly happy with it. And how many times have we seen a Jedi deflect a blaster bolt and not kill somebody? Anakin had the skill set to dodge the bolt and still grab Trench. He had the all of these different things open to him all these different options and so it becomes how easy it is to rationalize a a bad choice by saying well the circumstances in which it happened i you know come on two sides to every story sort of thing and it's like well that's true what could anakin have done differently before that moment to not put it in that situation and and those sorts of things and that's Again, it's that whole thing of people are dismissive of animation because it's regarded as some sort of, you know, it's still regarded as a medium for kids. But these are deep, unsettling philosophical discussions to have that fall right into Star Wars' whole mission statement of teaching kids lessons. I would love to go through this series with a kid and be like... You know, and discuss, oh, well, you think, what do you think Anakin learned at this or should have learned at this point? These are really good teaching tools. And two, if you look at this point compared with how Ahsoka and Rex handle being confronted by all of the clones that have gone bad and she's finding any way possible to not kill someone. Mm -hmm. It shows how easy it is for Anakin now as he's drifting toward the dark side that he has it in him to just let go of all of his morals that he had originally pledged to uphold and take somebody out. Whereas Ahsoka is like, absolutely not. I will never do that. Right. She's literally surrounded by clones that are all trying to kill her and she spit. She deflects all the blaster bolts up and gets away. She doesn't. She doesn't kill anybody. She pushes people. She redirects blasts. She does all of that stuff. And so Ahsoka, able to do that, does just reinforce the point. Anakin didn't need to kill Trench. He could have still spared him. Mm-hmm. 
I do find interesting because um, in terms of placing people, uh, we all know that I am a huge proponent of release order. I have not embraced uh, rewatching chronological order. I'm to your probably, detriment. I guess at this. Uh, sure. Yeah. Okay. We'll go with that. That's fine. <laughs> and I, I love watching things in release order just because that's just sort of the way my brain works. I have, I have sort of a short attention span. I just bounce, 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 bounce in case anybody couldn't tell. And this is the one time where I wish they had released it in chronological order because I think that this Bad Batch arc is such a good push right into the final that stepping back and going backward in time for Ahsoka to set her place up, actually, I think, you know, it it, it doesn't work to uh, the benefit of of the build to the the finale sort of thing. I think that there were there were people that probably responded less positively to the Ahsoka arc than they could have, should have, would have, whatever, because of the fact that we had this build and we could see where we were going after Bad Batch, and then we stopped and we stepped backward. And I think that probably created sort of a thing because there were so many complaints that I saw online where they were like, oh, this is why, why are we doing this? And it's like, it is a very necessary arc, but where it's placed right here broke the rhythm. And we were all, we all knew where we were going. Like when we, when the, the show was being released non-chronologically in the first, you know, in the, in the beginning before this part. There was no sense of anticipation about the ending in the sense of like we're building to something. It was these are all story arcs. And, you know, as you go for, oh, I'll get more shading. I get more history. I get this and that. And I can pull that in. And, oh, that that makes more sense now sort of thing. Whereas with this, we went into this last season knowing it's the last season and saying this is building to something I have been waiting for for a decade. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, we're all, it, it, you know what? There are roller coasters that do this where you go up to the top of the hill and you're like, hear it. And then it does like this, this little plateau. Half loop. Yeah, it's this plateau. <laughs> and you're like, what the hell just happened? Oh, here's the hill. You know, <laughs> I, I think that's that's what it was. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, John, because I definitely noticed it's a huge change in just tone alone from the end of the Bad Batch arc to then the beginning of that middle arc for Ahsoka, because it feels like we're going back to those episodes of the original six seasons where it was just for fun. It was more, you know, the like youngling focused episodes where it still taught you good lessons, but it wasn't as necessary to like the core story of the Clone War itself. Um, and that's what this kind of felt like to me again, that it was a uh, more lighthearted, um, and less, um, of like, you know, threats happening and things that everyone in, in the story is having to grapple with. It really seems like it was set up t to also be Ahsoka's arc and that it felt more like Trace and Rafa's arc was my other issue mm -hmm. with it. You know, John, I think you rightly mentioned the whole idea of the, the order. And I, I do think that they should have put this Ahsoka arc before 
uh, the Bad Batch arc because I do think it plays better. And part of that is because I think, you know, even, even thinking about just the time of it, I think it plays better to have Ahsoka go from that moment where at the end she walks off with Bo-Katan and have there be time between that and when we get to the final arc because you can feel that there's been mm-hmm. a growth in Ahsoka, uh, you know, and, and so having those back-to-back feels a little bit off. But to me, you know, to kind of answer what you were saying, Christy, to me this arc is is not just about Ahsoka finding herself and who she's meant to be. This arc is really meant to show us the and and the Clone Wars has done this in a few times, but I think this arc does it the best is to show just how far the Jedi have gone from their mission, and um, the fact that there are all of these things that they should be handling. There are all of these things that should they should be doing, but they're not doing them because they're too wrapped up in this war. And in fact, even the story of Trace and Rafa losing their parents because of Zero the Hut escaping happens during the Clone Wars. They're too busy then to take care of these kids the way that they probably would have if they weren't in the middle of a war. And so it has continually just gotten worse and worse and worse. And we even, you know, we travel to Kessel and we see, you know, Ahsoka's like, those are slaves. And they're like, no, they couldn't be slaves. You know, the Republic wouldn't allow that. Well, the Republic doesn't even probably care what's going on there because, again, they're embroiled in a war that is slowly destroying everything that the Republic was. And it's destroying everything that the Jedi were. And to me, this was a super important arc because it cements that Ahsoka will always be living up to the best ideals of the Jedi in the way of a Qui-Gon Jinn or an Obi-Wan mm-hmm. Kenobi or the best of a Yoda. You know, like, she has mm-hmm. all of what they were supposed to have, and by her being able to take this perspective trip, like, we call it Ahsoka's walkabout because that's kind of what it is. But, I mean, to me, this is Ahsoka's a, a perspective journey, and it allows her to be able to see, because she stepped away from the Jedi Order, the things that the Jedi can't see because their only perspective is trying to win the war. And when that's your only perspective, you've definitely put on some serious blinders to yourself to be able to see anything else because they only have one focus now. And this whole arc, I thought, was really beautiful in that, uh, that it really brings to light all of these issues and I absolutely agree, John, that if you had had this be first, I think it would have played much better with the fans um, than kind of that Bad Batch arc, which we're, we're kind of ramped up back into the war, and we're waiting then for you know the Siege of Mandalore. And because this arc leaves you on the edge of your seat with, oh, Bo-Katan, and oh, Maul is there, and like all those revelations, how they play at the end of this this arc. It's like, it's ramping you up, and then they would have had the Bad Batch arc, and you would just been like, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. And like, right. it, it just doesn't quite do the same thing, because this has so much more of like an Indiana Jones adventure feel to half of it, whereas... Again, that just plays better, I think, if you chronologically 
This is my argument for a chronological order. <laughs> if you play that before the Bad Batch arc, it just all flows better. I, yeah. I, I, I definitely think it, wor- it works better here, but I, there's one little point that I'll take issue with and, and um, you know, contradict you on, which is uh, the, the Jedi and the Republic are falling apart well before the war. The, the Republic didn't care about slavery oh, well, that's, before yeah. the war broke out. And the Jedi obviously didn't either, because even Qui-Gon says, eh, it's not my, I didn't come here to free slaves, sorry. So yeah. even by that point, the Jedi have lost their way. The war, I think, just exacerbates the problem and robs any of the Jedi from doing those sort of individual acts that can leave somebody saying, oh, you know, not all the Jedi are bad. Instead, it's, you know, I, I mean... Yeah, how horrifying an idea too. And this is something too where, you know, what what great storytelling in that they don't feel the need to go back and have this flashback of what happened uh with the girls when, you know, when they're orphaned and everything's going on. It's you know, I I'll draw a parallel because I love to point to this scene in uh Daredevil when the Punisher shows up. And there's this scene where Frank Castle is relating the story of what happened to his family. And there's no flashback. There's no nothing. They let him tell the story and they let you hear it and sit with it and say, oh, oh, wow. Because you're paying attention to how they're delivering that. And that's that's one of the things where the Clone Wars, this series, especially in this last season... It's not, I mean, this is just pure, uh, incredible film storytelling. It does everything right. And it doesn't indulge the cheap thrill or the, the quick cutaway or anything like that. It, it treats this with the, the, the language I would expect from any live action film and does it better than some of the live action films I have seen in the last 10 years. And that, that in and of itself is kind of mind blowing. And, and I know it seems weird to fixate on that, but the fact that they let the character tell the story and not fall back on showing everything to you and letting you play with that in your own head and treating these characters as very real. It makes you accept these characters experiences as valid and true. And I think that's just an incredibly important note specifically in this arc. Yeah, I think that it definitely, I think that was an important moment that they didn't show it to you. I do agree with you, John. I like that they had Trace and Rafa telling how it happened to them um, instead of that. And I, I do agree that it would be better if this was in chronological order. I think we all are on the same page with that. The The weakest point for me of the entire seventh season, though, was the first two episodes of this second arc, because it felt like it focused so much on Trace and Rafa, who then really don't seem to knit into any of the rest of the story. Um, so it makes me ask the question why they matter in the midst of everything, or if they were just there to teach Ahsoka a lesson. And then it felt like they were bickering all the time when they were on screen that didn't serve a purpose for anything. Um, 
So that that was the main thing that just was difficult for me to get through. But all of the things with Ahsoka's growth um, and with seeing how she's trying to kind of fight that she's still got these ties in her heart to the Jedi and hide those things from other people was interesting. But then she ends up using the force anyway. Um, yeah. And and still having those moral values of I'm not going to kill someone. I'm going to always strive to do the right thing because in your heart, you know, if it's the right thing or the wrong thing. Um, I loved those pieces. But yeah, that that was my one beef with it. To me, Trace and Rafa, you know, they they say a couple of times to Ahsoka um, and their motto is, is we can't count on anyone. So we look out for ourselves. And by being with Ahsoka, it's not just Ahsoka learning something, but it's her teaching them something. Because her motto is, in my life, when you find people who need your help, you help them no matter what. And they become completely different people because Ahsoka lives out what it means to be a Jedi, even though she's no longer a Jedi. And in fact, they even tell her that when, uh, you know... Uh, Bo-Katan comes calling and is like, I need your help. They're like, no, you need to go with her. You're meant to go with her. And so I, to me, that's what, that's what these characters are for. Um, they're, they're, it's the mutual beneficial, um, relationship that ends up happening. Uh, and, and in many ways, it goes all the way back to, to me, the, the Phantom Menace where Obi-Wan Kenobi is talking to Boss Nass and he says, you and the Naboo form a symbiont circle. What happens to one is going to happen to the other. And so by Ahsoka being part of this circle to which Jedi have not been a part of in, in you know, three and a half years of this war, and even, like you were mentioning, John, before this, like, her living out the principles of what it means to a Jedi create a snowball effect for these sisters. And who knows where they'll go after that. I mean... They could be something where they're they're a part of the rebellion one day because of the impact that Ahsoka's had on them. So, um, I, I to me that's the thing is that there's this beneficial mutual relationship that happens between the sisters and Ahsoka, and it's it's a story about both of them. So, but I would say, and this is this is I think a very big point and probably one that would cause endless debate. I don't know, but it's not that Ahsoka is acting like a true Jedi. It's that Ahsoka is acting like a true force user. And this, what I mean by that distinction is that she's following the will of the force. She's doing what any force user should do. And I don't even think the Jedi going back to their original texts or anything like that necessarily even got that part absolutely right. Because feeling the force is supposed to be recognizing the force put me here. What does the force want me to do? What is my purpose? And it's not, it just, it comes naturally to Ahsoka and it fits in with the larger arc that we know of her becoming, you know, quote unquote, Ahsoka the white, um, that she is so open and so in tune with the force naturally that she is, I mean, she's the perfect force user, essentially, is what she's on her way to becoming. And you see it even in this arc. And I think that mirrors, um, you know, what we've talked about with Kanan, 
exactly what Kanan becomes yes. in Rebels. Like they become mm-hmm. these yes. force users and, and Ezra is that same way. You know, you really see them becoming because they're not attached to the the complete dogma of the Jedi. They take the best of what it meant to be a Jedi. And like you said, John, I think they they really exemplify what the Jedi were meant to be. Um, and I think this arc is really cool because, you know, we do get the introduction of Maul. Um, we see that he's the one obviously still controlling the Pikes with his crime syndicate. Um, you know, he mentions if they can't do the job, maybe Crimson Dawn can, which is great. Um, then, of yeah. course, you know, Bo-Katan shows up and we know that everything is about to hit the fan with this final arc. So again, like Chrissy, you mentioned you didn't love the first two episodes, but I think those last two episodes, once Bo shows up and you realize this is going to connect, it's, it's just, oh yeah. You said it's yeah. about to go down. It is about to go yeah. down. <laughs> uh, that, that scene, that scene where Maul is talking uh, and, and Ahsoka's eavesdropping and everything. I suddenly realized something. You know, I love the scene where he talks to, to Kira in Solo. I love that this ties into Solo, this buoy Solo. This makes mm-hmm. Solo an even more integral part of the story. Maybe Solo 2 could be animated. I don't know. I'm just spitballing at that point. I just want Solo 2 so badly. But I have a question for you very specifically because of the way Maul appears, you know, to Crimson Dawn and to Kira and everything like that. Would you say that when they make contact with him, people are talking to a Maulogram? That's it. That's all I got. I'm out of here. Dad joke achieved. Yes. Well, we know, John, that behind the scenes, they were calling the the Mandalorians the Maulalorians, you know, so maybe. Yeah. Maulogram. There you go. Um, go. It all works. So final. (laughs) We're here at the Siege of Mandalore in Order 66. We finally made it. Now we're into the show. I knew this was going to be a longer one. uh, So I'm so excited to talk about this. And I... I've got to say, I absolutely adore how this opens. I love that we're setting up episode three, the fact that all of the major masters have had to be sent off to the Outer Rim, basically, for all these sieges that are happening. And we meet Anakin and Obi-Wan at this battle at the Golden Gate Bridge. I mean, not the Golden Gate Bridge, but the Golden Gate Bridge, uh, which is beautiful. And it's such a great moment, as you were talking about earlier, Christy, where it's this... It is the perfect Obi-Wan and Anakin adventure before they will not have these adventures again. Like, this is the last pure Obi-Wan-Anakin adventure before it all goes to hell or Mustafar in a handbasket, you know? Uh, and I think it's such a... It's just so much fun, you know, with with Obi-Wan down in the dirt and Anakin kind of making fun of him a little bit, you know, the way they like to banter. And this the the music of it is beautiful. Like it references the return of the Jedi, which is just so perfect. It's like father like son. Uh and then they're even referencing some great movies. Like they're referencing the newer Planet of the Apes movies with um the way that the apes were uh, able to get around the blockade, you know, with the with the clones mm-hmm. hanging underneath the bridge and then coming around, like it's mm-hmm. just it's it's one of the best things the Clone Wars has ever done because it's just so much fun. But there are two things too that I love. Well, okay, three things. One, when Anakin comes walking up, all nonchalant, like, why are you? Why are you hiding? What are, what are What's you going? doing? You know, like, <laughs> right. But 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 Anakin is so sure of himself. He's so powerful by that point. 
And while he's talking to Obi-Wan, he just has this moment where he just moves his head just a quarter of an inch and a bolt flies yes. by. And he doesn't even blink about it. He's just like, mm-hmm. what? You know, it, it's just second nature to him at that point. And I know that there were some people drawing uh, a similarity between uh, Luke in The Last Jedi and him and Anakin here talking uh, to the droids. But I instead see going all the way back to the Clone Wars movie oh so long ago, Obi-Wan doing the nego- the stalling, tac- negoti- stalling tactic negotiation yep. Uh, yep. on the Battle of Christophsis. And then Anakin has you know has his own moment like that of he's just going to talk your ear off until finally somebody says wait a minute what this is a trick and then it's it's all over mm-hmm. um and i i uh i really love also that we finally get to see something that was originally in the episode 3 script which was and and which was written out which is why we had the line that that business on Cato Nymordia doesn't count right now we've seen that business on Cato Nymoidia. Although and I love it. Cato I Nymoidia. think it's terrific. I know, but I'm saying like it's yeah. it's a terrific yeah. moment because we have the suspension bridge, we have all of that yep. sort of thing going on. And so we we get something that the Clone Wars has done amazingly, which is take an idea. Okay, I couldn't use it this time, but okay, I can't be precious about it, but I'll find a way to use that later. And it's it's happened since the very beginning. Tie bombers were originally designed for the the first Star Wars. Can't use them now. Save them for the next one. And I I lo- like I love that about this moment is we get that that scene that would have been in Revenge of the Sith just a little bit differently. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, John, because that's one of the things that I love the most about Star Wars in general is that I feel like this constant thing of okay maybe we can't use this now but we're going to hang on to it for a long time and then right. put it in when you least expect it and you're going to go oh you did the thing <laughs> yes exactly the, the thing i always wanted to see yay yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then also because you and i love revenge of the sith so much from the prequels this was so up our alley because then it overlaps with revenge of the sith Yes. Well, yeah, and, absolutely. And that's a brilliant thing that they do here too is, you know, this this part of the arc, part 1 is set up like the classic Star Wars movie in the sense like that they they you know they do the title cards here where one bringing back the original Lucasfilm logo, brilliant. Uh using the original yeah. uh Star Wars opening fanfare here kind of, you know, slightly kinderized um, but still kind of that opening fanfare. Like this is the Star Wars movie before again, everything just goes to pot, right? And mm-hmm. um everything about this is kind of big and bold and like it is before everything is going to just kind of crumble. And I I just love it. Like it it's so well crafted and there's so much love pouring out of every single frame of this. Like you can tell that they have legitimately spent time just like going dink, 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 like sitting every with the single editing. frame just yeah. to make sure that everything is perfect because it is perfect here. And I, you know, this, this opening is just so great. And, and one of my favorite things is again, it's calling, they, all of these arcs use everything about the Clone Wars to build this. And when they get the call, after the battle to say that fulcrum is called 
And they're like, oh man, Saul Guerrero, what's going on in Onderon? And then they're like, oh no, it's not Saul Guerrero. You need to get up here now. I just, I mm-hmm. love that, that we we are preparing Ahsoka to use the code Fulcrum in Rebels. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just awesome. And then too, yes. um, not to jump ahead too much, but I love especially how the the two big things that happen in this arc with Ahsoka is that it it sets her up for how you see her in Rebels later to see because the way I said it to my husband was by the time you get to Rebels, you're like, man, she has been through something. Yes. Yep. She is scarred. And now you're seeing what the thing was. And then when she has the moment with the force of realizing what Anakin's doing far away, it's like she's also sort of like another Obi-Wan. And I love that she's now gotten so powerful with her use of the force that she can sense that, like he sensed the destruction of Alderaan. What I find very, very interesting is, uh, keying off of what you just said there, Christy, we see Yoda sense Anakin's switch. Mm -hmm. We see Ahsoka here sense Anakin's crucible. She doesn't sense that he's turned, but she senses his crucible. But Obi-Wan doesn't have that moment. And that's very, I, I don't think it's intentional, but I think it's one of those things that could be interesting to sort of like layer some sort of meaning on that maybe even that the, 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 the idea that the Force is speaking to Ahsoka to warn her about what's about to happen Whereas with Obi-Wan, there's a different set of circumstances distracting him. Ahsoka and Yoda have a quiet moment. Obi-Wan's in the thick of it. He doesn't have that moment to think and say, oh, no, I sense something. He is caught up in the moment. Whereas, And there's almost this sense of what would it have been like? Would it have been overwhelming for Obi-Wan to have sensed it would would obi-wan not have sensed the disturbance but rather precisely what happened if he hadn't been distracted i think you're really onto something john because i think if you think about that is that maybe not the thing that saves obi-wan's life because he's not struck in horror by this moment he's in the thick of battle and yeah and so instead of being like like ahsoka where she just kind of stumbles and like it, and it could have been so much worse if if that had happened to Obi-Wan where he was. And I just I love that. I think that makes so much sense. Um and I just I love that moment too, where you know she gets to experience it and they use the episode three monologue and everything and, and you get to hear mm-hmm. all of that happen. I think that's beautiful. Um we're gonna jump all over this arc, so you know, just bear yeah. with us. I mean, we're we're not being linear, mm-hmm. but um Kind of going back and, and tying into that a little bit, though, John, Obi-Wan has a really rough time of it in this arc. Uh, you know, first, Bo-Katan insinuates that he didn't care for her sister, uh, which is just a horrible thing to say, obviously, because it's the love of his life. Um, and then, you know, Ahsoka insinuates that he doesn't care about the rest of the galaxy. Um, mm-hmm. And... 
I really like the way that he handles both situations because he doesn't come back at them in in a in a mean way or anything like he stops he thinks and and then he kind of and then he responds like there's this there's this really uh again it's it's the same way he responded to Satine's death which is there's that centeringness like he centers himself he focuses and then he responds and what I thought was so interesting is obviously both of those things are untrue about Obi-Wan Kenobi. You know, like he obviously cared about her sister and he tells her that, but he can't let his emotions drive him because, you know, that's not the right thing to do. And then that moment with Ahsoka, what I kind of love is that honestly, they're both right. You know, um, in that moment, the Jedi have lost their way. Um, but, for Obi-Wan and Anakin to not try and go rescue the Chancellor is is not is not something they can't not do because they're hoping to end this war. They're hoping to put you know this to, to rest finally. You know, so it's like they're they're both right in that moment. And I think that's the reason that they can have that moment where she says, if Obi-Wan agrees, and Obi-Wan says yes. And then he tells her, may the force be with you. And they have that mutual respect. Like, there's just something that I really love about all of the dynamics that are going into that. And there's so much in the facial expressions they're doing with the animation and everything. But these two characters, uh, and then that plays into their very last conversation that they have, at least that we know of right now, which is where he says, the Jedi Order isn't always right. The Council isn't always right. That's why I'm asking for your help. And I really love that he gets the ability to admit to her that you weren't wrong earlier when we had that conversation and I need you and Anakin needs you. And then they have that moment where she says, tell Anakin, he's like, I will. Like there's such an understanding between those two characters. And I love that, you know, they get to leave on those terms where it's not contentious. It's actually a love moment between them for the person that they mutually both care about. Um, and I just, I thought that they really handled that well um, because, you know, Obi-Wan's about to have a very bad, rotten, not-so-good day uh, with what's about to happen yeah. to him, too, so. <laughs> but but there there's there's so much, there's so much, and, and the thing is this inevitably leads to discussions of Maul, right? There's one of the beautiful things about, Star Wars is when you have these moments where you say, what if it had played just a little differently? What if people hadn't done what was expected, right? The, the whole reason Luke wins in Return of the Jedi is he he does something unexpected. And the expected thing is for Obi-Wan and Anakin to rush off and try to be the heroes to save the Chancellor. The entire, the entire Jedi Order and, uh, you know, all of the military around Coruscant and everything are trying to save the Chancellor. Why does it have to be them? Why can't they go off and fight Maul? And especially since Maul is so hard to kill and has been such a pain in the butt. And Which we I find love out, Obi-Wan you know, calling out to her, too. Like, just capture yeah. him, because killing him, it it it, it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> and, right. But but then, when I... When, when Maul shows up and initially says... Why, you know, I was expecting Kenobi. Why are you here? Right. There's this, 
I t- initially took it as, oh, wow, he was supposed to be the one to lure Kenobi. That's his purpose. It, you know, the reason he was left alive is in this moment, he was supposed to lure Kenobi away. And then that doesn't work. And so Kenobi sent after Grievous, you know, in Palpatine's trick. He's just trying to separate Kenobi from Anakin. But then to find out that it's actually just that Maul refuses to learn the lesson that he's never going to outgame Sidious. It's never going to happen. Not now, not ever. Mm -hmm. And he, he has to have, he never accepts the fact that. He will never be the master. He can't. He's incapable of it. He cannot ascend. And it's it's fascinating because then I wind up comparing him with Vader because Vader is a failure as a Sith. He's unable to ascend. He should be able to ascend when the Death Star is completed. Right? He's on the Death Star. He's on the ultimate weapon. This is his big opportunity. To, you know, he's killed Obi-Wan. Rebellion's going to get wiped out. He's got a Death Star. He, the, you know, the, the pupil can finally ascend, but Maul repeatedly never learns his lesson. Maul would have been so much better off just to say, wow, I'm just not cut out for this, man. I can't, I, I, I'm just going to go off and be my criminal kingpin self and just be, be happy. And I, I, you know, I guess eventually he gets there, but it's like, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I, I love seeing him fail because it, it gives me this weird sense of, almost sympathy for him but i can't feel bad for him mm-hmm. because it's his own, it's his own damn fault but then it's funny that it also he has moments where it's like he still admires palpatine where he you know like oh, yeah. gets on the floor and he's like it's brilliant right <laughs> i see right, it but, now <laughs> right right he sees it now he can't he can't Foresee think that many it. steps ahead yeah. yeah he's um you know he's he's so so self-centered and so focused on individual achievement that the whole reason palpatine is the master is he's forwarding the cause of of evilness as opposed to the cause of just self he yeah he's got to be emperor to inflict the pain and sorrow that the dark side demands that he inflicts on the galaxy Whereas Maul is just about, I'm going to be in charge. It's like, that's not enough, man. That's, you, you, so you can't just be about that. What you're saying is Maul and Krennic both choked on their aspirations and would get along very well. There you go. They're exactly. You wow. just named the show, Christy. Ma- oh, yes. A, a Maul and Krennic team up? <laughs> oh, now I want that. I Two want bitter, I- ambitious people. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, wait, no, wait, no, wait, no, wait. No, wait. Let's. Let's let, let all right. Let's talk through this. Here's the concept: Krennic has to work with Maul because he needs to free up a supply line for the Death Star's construction, right? So he's going to put Maul in charge of Kessel, right? Well, no, Maul, he needs he needs uh, some sort of resource because Kessel mines something other than spice so he needs that other resource to come along Hmm. and help with his you know his death star project and everything like that and that way palpatine can still keep maul in check and keep an eye on him while all of this is going see there you go Mm -hmm. we've got another animated movie for you there the maul and krennic uh buddy hour there you go (laughs) 
I, um, a couple of things I don't want to forget to mention. I love that we referenced the original Clone Wars micro series with Shock T going to, to, mm-hmm. uh, save the Chancellor herself and that they haven't heard from her. So apparently Shock T does die then. Um, and, uh, or, you know, maybe she goes on like in, uh, she somehow survives and she becomes what we see in the, the Force Unleashed. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I love the landing on Mandalore because I love the use of the music from the opening of Revenge of the Sith. Uh, and that landing, um, just that's happening. It's coinciding with what's going on with Anakin and Obi-Wan. I love that it kind of reminds me of the battle at Teth too, where, you know, Ahsoka's trying to do all these things, but she isn't quite good enough to really do everything she wants to do. But here she's every bit as good as she wants to be and is doing these amazing things. Uh, so that whole thing is brilliant. I love that we, you know, see Saxon and cast here uh, that we saw in the comic, John, that we talked about on aggressive negotiations, the son of Dathomir. And my favorite moment, I think, just it's so small, but when Ahsoka uh, lands there, the explosion happens, and then Rex comes up behind her, and she looks at him and goes, hey, you, it's like it melts your heart because you know what's going to happen in the next episode with these characters, and there's that bond that's between them. Like, you know, she's grown up with him. He is her brother in many ways. Like, it, you know, Anakin and Obi-Wan are like her dads, and this is her brother. And so it's it's just such a great moment. And I I gotta say, the battle between Ahsoka and Maul, can we just talk about how gorgeous this whole... Th- like, oh, yeah. A, one, the music in this, the fact that they basically go haul Hans Zimmer, uh, Blade Runner 2049, perfect choice. The 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 shot of when he's trying to lure her to his side, she's agreed, and the the explosion happens, and it's that sweeping shot behind both of them with the glass coming in, and and the 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 fireflies of of um fire coming in, and like the smoke, and it's just oh my gosh, it's the best animation I've ever seen. Pixar, eat your heart out. Um, it is. I'm just kind of, um, I'm just kind of gushing, but I, I, this is everything I wanted at this point. We've had a lot of great lightsaber battles in the movies and actually throughout Clone Wars too, but I never in a million years, if you had said to me even, you know, when Clone Wars started and I was, you know, I said, oh, wow, you know, I actually like this. If you had said to me, yeah, but just you wait. Because one of the best lightsaber battles in the history of the entire saga, better than some of the even the stuff you see in the films, um, is going to be in the final arc of this series. I would have looked at you and said, "That's not possible." That's, I'm no. going to put it out there: that, it is that, better than every lightsaber battle in the sequel trilogy. And did yes, you both know it is part of the reason this was so good was they mocapped Ray Park. Yep. Yes. And yes. And the uh, and it was the the fight double for the armorer. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, what played Ahsoka, and then just to go, incredible battle. I even love the little touch that when when Maul, when she throws Maul back through the wall, 
and uh, he goes out. You see the two extra yes. lines of where his saber was still ignited. Oh, yeah. Is, oh, chef kiss. I think, Just absolutely perfect. I think my favorite part in this fight, too, is the Ahsoka sass. When she gives him some sass, yeah. like, oh, man, you are you better be glad that Skywalker didn't show up with the way you're <laughs> mm-hmm. fighting. And he's like, Obi-Wan's arrogance, you know? like, And she's like, yep. I've got a lot of things that you won't like. It's just so mm-hmm. perfect because she's learned from the best. You know, because she told Bo that um, uh, uh, earlier. Um, I think it was Bo or what? She might have said to the uh, Martez sisters, but she's like, I learned from the best, you know? And it's just, it was Bo, because she tells him after she gets um, Maul. Anyway, I just love it. I just love it. And then to stay with Maul, to carry forward to when he's doing his uh, distraction on the Star Destroyer, to think that I would see a scene that, now listen, Rogue One, you know, whether you liked it, whether you loved it, whether you're okay with it, whether you thought it was great, whatever, Everybody loves the Vader scene at the end of Rogue One when he's tearing up the hallway. Mm-hmm. It, like that, and that was so much fun to see it. Like you know, I remember seeing it for the first time, and you know, they look back and I, his saber hadn't even ignited. I remember giggling in the theater. I was like, "Oh, I know what's coming next." <laughs> but like, and then the saber lights up and everything, and I love that scene so much. But then Maul going through that hallway, holy cow! I mean, pound for pound. At least equal, if not better, because there were moments when he was throwing stuff around and he was killing and decapitating people and everything like that. I'm sitting there alone, all by my lonesome, watching it going, oh, oh, like it was it was intense. I couldn't believe the level that this got to. It was amazing. And of course, then my husband at that moment chimes in and says, and all that is Ahsoka's fault. And I was like, you shush. <laughs> she didn't know. He's like, she knew. <laughs> I, I I, mean, I even love he pull, He holds the guy so the, the, the door closes on him. The arm comes down. Yeah. And then later he's using the guy's comm. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, this was useful. Yeah, it's just like, and what? That, that, that was something that I thought was really interesting because the decision that she makes there to use them as a distraction is such an Anakin decision. You know, yeah. Uh, and so, and what's fascinating is is watching these final arc episodes. You can see the decisions that Osoka makes that are more on the Obi Wan side, and then you see the ones that he she makes that are more on the Anakin side. And she doesn't make too many Anakin decisions, but that's one of them. And oh, yeah. and it's it's a it's not a bad decision. Um, but it it might not be the best decision because it almost costs Rex and her. their lives like that decision comes back to kind of bite her in the butt a little bit right like he didn't just cause a distraction he blows up the whole place right maul doesn't know a limit maul doesn't understand distraction oh yeah a distraction of maul was killing everybody yeah Yeah, destroying (laughs) hyperdrives and like (laughs) but it, it also has one of my favorite exchanges in the history of the entire saga of you know care to give me a fighting chance oh I'm not rooting for you. Yes. You know, like, oh, it's yeah. This whole thing of like, I, I laughed so hard when she said that because it, it was it was so honest. It was like, you know, oh, hey, why don't you give me a what? No, you're, she's the person that learns that the scorpion will always sting. You know, like if I give you the saber, I'm at, I'm in trouble. And then that's you're, cool. And then you're also basically like, oh, bless your heart. You actually thought she was going to team up with you. 
Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> well, exactly. And that's another moment. It's it's like more Ahsoka sass. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. she's like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Did you think I really? Basically, she's saying, did you think I cared if you lived or died? Like that's not what I'm right. doing. This like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what's funny is that she's treating him the same way that everybody else has treated him, which is disposably. Like. Which is, again, I would say this does show that Ahsoka has a little bit too much of Anakin still in her at this moment, and she's going to grow, but this is is a decision that she is making that is for her own benefit and nobody else's, because he is going to go on a rampage and just kill a bunch of people, and she knows that, and that's Mm -hmm. what she needs at this moment to try and escape and to save Rex, and so... She is kind of making that, you know, uh, uh, an Anakin type decision where she's doing this for somebody she loves and herself. And it's selfish. And I can't fault her that much for it because they're also all trying to kill her. Yeah. But but at the same time, yes, you know, you can have these debates about, well, are those clone deaths on her head? And did she intend for it to get so out of control? But at the same time it presents the perfect tableau for her to fake her death. Yeah. If she had just disappeared, Vader would have hunted for her. Right? Like Vader, we, we know full well Vader for at least a time would have been hunting for Obi-Wan. And there, there were Jedi who survived and they kept hunting them. They kept looking for them. They had the, they built the inquisitors out of them and all of that stuff. Ahsoka would have become the obsession for Vader. I don't think Vader rests until he finds Ahsoka, whereas that tableau at the end, he can at least, he can convince himself that she's dead. He can at least say, okay, she's probably gone, Mm -hmm. and go off and give himself permission not to pursue her, yeah, not to go after her. Yeah, I have to chime in and agree, too, though, with um, both of you about the fighting between Maul and Ahsoka and say my favorite scene of all of their fighting was when they're up in the air on these balance beam like structures flying all over the place. And when she then briefly bests him and grabs his saber, it was so good. Yeah, when she gets the better of him and then he just freaks out you know he's like we're all gonna die we're all gonna <laughs> die you you know like he knows what's coming and and he's he's you can ter- tell he's terrified of Sidious and and what I love about that is it references the last time that we had seen him where Sidious just puts the smack down on him and like tortures him he's like I still have plans for you you know it's like he knows what can happen mm-hmm. yeah and, and there, there's even a, a beautiful parallel with uh, the fight between Obi Wan and Anakin on Mustafar. You know, when they're they're fighting on all these catwalks and balance beams and and, and all of that sort of stuff yep. uh, going mm-hmm. on. And so you can see that, you know, Obi Wan and Anakin weren't the only you know tremendously gifted duelists that were out there. One yeah. of the things I thought that was really fun about this is once she beats him, and I really love the conversation that her and Bo have, you know, where she's like, you know, you did something that nobody else could, you know, <laughs> you captured Maul, uh, and they, they put him in that sarcophagus, that Mandalorian sarcophagus, which is just amazing. Like, John, can we have an animated series where we get the the, the uh, Mandalorian 
Jedi Wars because I think that would be awesome. Um, yes. Just putting that out there into the, the general ether <laughs> of the internet. We need mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. then, um, you know, we talked a little bit about that whole meeting between the council and Ahsoka. And what I love about that moment is that we see that that meeting was actually longer than we thought it was from uh, Revenge of the Sith. Um, but I love the way, you know, everybody makes a big deal about how Mace is a jerk, but what he said is technically correct. Um, and I, my favorite thing is Ahsoka's reaction to it, which is not to get upset, but to say, I understand. And it, it's one of those moments where it shows how much she's grown and it shows how much Mace has not grown. Like there's a dichotomy there between her and the Jedi Order and the only one that has grown is Yoda. And because Yoda says, I sense that you you need to say something. Is it to Skywalker? And she says basically no. You know, she doesn't divulge the information that she has at that moment about what Maul said about Anakin. But you you see there that the only one on the council in that scene, the only one who gets that there's something else going on here is Yoda, and that's because Yoda had that that arc we saw in you know the end of the Lost Mission season, where Yoda has grown and he is continuing to grow in his understanding of the Force and his connection with it. And I really like that these are two of the characters who are moving beyond what it means to be what we considered a Jedi in the prequel era. They're already making that transition, and that's really cool. And even a small echo with the way Yoda addresses her, uh, echoing the way he addresses Qui-Gon in The Phantom Menace. More to say, have you? Yes. He's, he's the one, you know, to your point, that's willing to say, okay, I don't, don't keep it in. Bring it, bring it to me. I, I know you, have got, you got something. And then still at the end, calls her Padawan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it and just such a got me in the heart. Yeah. 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 I, you know, I just, and, and and it's such a contrast with Windu, you know, where he says, oh, the, you know, this is a, this is Jedi business citizen. He's so dismissive. And the thing is, you can take it on the one level as he's saying to Ahsoka, well, you're not a Jedi any, anymore, mm-hmm. but you can also see him going down the road that turned Dooku dark of we're better than you average person. We oh, yeah, know what's point. going. We're the experts, okay? You sit there and you just live your life and you let us decide how you're going to live. And it's like that is that is a key component of Windu at that moment and that's why he's so close to turning to the dark side in Revenge of the Sith. He's almost there. He's almost at the dark side in Revenge of the Sith. And this I think just supports that. And see, I didn't think about it from that perspective. So I'm glad you brought that up because I was just thinking of it as like he is using her technically being the one that left to drive a, you know, nail into the wound. Um, I didn't even think about it from that point of, you know, it, it could be him being condescending, like we're better than you now. So thank you. Uh, oh, hey, no, I, I'm because the thing is, it even ties back to, um, Anakin in episode two, Jedi business, go back to your drinks, mm-hmm. right? That just that idea of, you know, how arrogant they've become. The moment where Ahsoka experiences 
the fall of Anakin Skywalker and that mm-hmm. leading to Order 66 and her experience with that, I was crying the first time. Like, I just was crying. And the, the, the face-off that she has with Rex, because they've just had this beautiful, beautiful conversation about how, you know, the one good thing from the war that come were these amazing soldiers and the amazing people and the fact that, you know, he's her best friend, basically. And then, of course, it goes to the fact that now he's going to try and kill her. And not only that, but the the beauty of the fact that every time Ahsoka sees one of these clones, they're wearing her face and mm-hmm. they're trying to murder her. And mm-hmm. it is it's so heart wrenching. And then her escape is phenomenally done. Like the and, and, and what I love about this, too, is that. This actually kind of plays into another form of media that we saw the the escape in. Um, if you've played or watched any of the uh, the scenes from Jedi Fallen Order, um, his escape um, with his master is is a more prolonged escape. And so I kind of love that they're playing on this idea that you know obviously the the way we see things in the the movie. It's done because it's this whole thing of these beats and everything, and we're basically just seeing the end of these Jedi. Um, and you get the sense that some of these would have been more prolonged battles. But it, there, it's it's the operatic moment. Here, it's just, it is about this moment between this one character and these clones and her friend trying to kill her. And I think they just do it so well. Um, I just, I, the whole thing, I just couldn't get enough of. Well, they also wind up answering a question that I had had, uh, but although it opens up other questions about the execution of Order 66, one of those things was, did they just basically, everybody who was a Force user was therefore subject to the Order? Uh, You know, how did they draw distinctions? Because Anakin, obviously, is exempted from Order 66. Ahsoka... Even though she's not a Jedi technically anymore, for the purposes of Order 66, she is considered a Jedi. And they also say, go kill Maul. Was Maul's murder, execution really, ordered because of Order 66? Or was it simply, if we're going to do this, let's just get rid of both of our problems on the on this Star Destroyer because... You have because that op- just opens up more questions because there's almost a part of me that's thinking, was there some sort of database almost that was quietly uh, updated every so often with the clones as to who counted as a Jedi? So could there have been somebody who wouldn't have been registered as? But then I start thinking in terms of, boy, that would have been a lot of information to like sort of like sneak into their brain while they slept but at the same time you know et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. so I, I i just wanted to get you know you guys what your read was going to be do you think they were they were executing maul as part of order 66 or just because you know what if we're going to do this let's just make it a clean sweep i think more just make it a clean sweep personally because i mean they make it clear when the clones are all you know in the middle of the room facing her and rex that they said no we were told to kill all the jedi and then it's not until rex confuses them and says well she's not a jedi anymore Mm -hmm. that they then go oh well 
but then they they decide to ignore it again and stick to the programming. So, yeah, I mean, to me, that says that Maul was just another problem they had to take care of. Yeah, I kind of read it that way, too, um, that he's just, I mean, it's, we'll just get rid of him because it's easier. And, you know, who needs him around anyway? Um, that makes I, sense. Yeah. I, you know, when when Ahsoka makes her escape and everything, I really love that we bring back her droid, R7. Um, mm-hmm. That That's her droid. So I, I, that she had had. Um, and I really, I think that was really fun. I love his little friends. I really like the droid Cheap that looks a little bit like Chopper. And even comes and as sounded close, like Chopper. Yeah, and even comes as close as you get to having the Ralph McQuarrie original drawing, um, with the two arms on the side coming out and everything. Well, um, he, even even his interface uh, pole uh, ends the way Chopper's yes. does. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And no great I, work. Was he does sound exactly like Chopper? Do we have a confirmation on the voice? If in that's the credits? Dave Filoni or not? Yeah. <laughs> I we should go read the credits. Dave. I, yeah, I'm gonna have to I read wouldn't the be surprised if it's Dave. Um, what did you think about, you know, when Ahsoka is trying to find the chip in his head and using the Jedi prayer that we heard in Rogue One? Mm. Slick. Really slick way to tie it all together. Because that's, uh, you know, that's uh, that provides uh, the idea, again, supports, you know, the Guardians of the Wills were incredibly closely tied to the Jedi. and you know, just another way of walking the path and the idea that they would have shared prayers as it were makes perfect sense. Yeah. I definitely noticed that moment um, and tying into rogue one as well. Um, It just, it it even made me postulate like could possibly Ahsoka have known cheer it, but I don't know. Why not? I mean, they could run across each other, you know, for all we know. You never know. That would be kind of cool. Um, but more people probably knew it than just him. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> I really love the last episode, Victory and Death. Um, I think it's pretty beautiful that they use the choral opening. The card feels very much like the funeral scene with Padme. Uh, and I think it's it's it, it works perfectly. Um, you know, we've already talked about Maul going at a rampage. Um, you know, the fact that he kind of pulls out the hyperdrive, it kind of feels like the Force Unleashed video game in the best way uh ahsoka kind of has that move later when she's trying to hold on to the shuttle which is funny because you know the first time we ever really saw that anywhere was the force unleashed video game and of course maul being played here by sam witwer and sam witwer was star killer so i thought i liked that too um i thought it was really interesting in here that the clones call the emperor darth sidious so they know mm-hmm. who he is, which I think is fascinating. And um, I also really think that um, just this whole thing about, you know, again, this moment that Ahsoka chooses to let Maul go and that almost costs them their lives in the end was really fascinating. But at the same time, like you were saying earlier, she has this moment where she tells Rex, we're not going to kill all these clones if we can... I mean, like, I'm not going to be the one responsible for murdering all of them. We're going to try and get out of here, and we're going to try and do it in a way that saves their lives if we can. We're not here to mow them down. And, like, there's just such a difference there. And, again, I think it's it's the perfect way of kind of showing that Ahsoka 
truly is imbibed and and just in, in overflowing with what it means to be a Jedi, you know, the best of the mm-hmm. Jedi. And I, I think this arc really does that. And to me, the fact that their escape takes everything out of them and almost kills them like they almost break in this i thought was really interesting i'd seen some people kind of complaining that this feels like it makes the jedi almost godlike again but no to me this is a moment where like it's desperation you know and you can do a lot of things when you're more desperate than you can when you're not and Mm -hmm. you know again ahsoka gets shot a few times here, you know, like uh, she, she's not able to deflect everything. Rex gets shot, you know, they, they, it costs them everything to be able to escape this, you know, this, uh, cruiser. And so uh, to me that I really liked is that they almost don't make it, you know, like we know they're going to make it, but they almost don't make it. And I think that works. I I don't think, I don't think that she comes off as godlike. I I think that, you know what you can say. It, I I completely agree with you. Yes, you're right. That when you're desperate, you can wind up tapping into potential that you didn't know that you had. But also, we're dealing with a moment in time where the power of the force is wildly fluctuant, and Sidious himself. The moment Anakin turns, what does he say? Unlimited power. Anakin has unlocked, you know, achievement unlocked dark side, <laughs> dark side energy, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but then as, you know, the Jedi are getting slaughtered throughout the galaxy and everything, there is this ebb and flow to lighten dark side energies. And you have Ahsoka's desperation, but you also have that, you know, if it's a river, then it is on full blast at this moment. It is absolutely gushing. And so there's going to be, you know, a lot of energy to tap into, as it were. And two, I want to go to what you were saying, Matt, about um, Ahsoka and not um, vowing not to kill anyone. I love that she points out to Rex as well. It's not their fault. It is programming. And I was able to save you. I can't save everyone because we don't have that kind of time. Um, but, but she's outright saying it's, it's not their fault. I yeah, really. That's a great point. Love that. Um, and then too, I felt like in that moment where she's holding on to Maul's shuttle and trying to decide whether to pull him down the rest of the way or help Rex, she's also struggling with how Anakin would struggle between the right thing and the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Um, whether she wants vengeance against Maul or needs to do the right thing and help Rex. Yeah, that's a great so. point too. To me, the thing that really, I mean, this the whole season has just been a work of art. But to me, this this last this last arc truly is just art, and the last few scenes I think really show that. I love the way that they mirror the shots of the crash with Ahsoka and Vader. You know, um, I think that's really cool. Uh, I absolutely love her just dropping the lightsaber that he quote unquote fixed for her. You know, that was la- Anakin's kind of last. Like he he can't help himself. Like 
trying to make things better. Like he kind of just goes overboard in some ways. Like he doesn't know when to stop. And like her dropping that lightsaber is her letting go of him in a way that he can never let go of anyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think there's a real beauty to that. And then John, you mentioned this and I thought it was so brilliant. You know, she's Ahsoka the gray (laughs) Uh, before she becomes Ahsoka the white and then mm-hmm. I just love that Moray is above Vader in that last shot. Like, that we have that connection now between, you know, the daughter and Ahsoka and this Convery. And I think there's such a beauty to that. And the, the, the series ends perfectly because it's such a melancholy end. Like, we don't want this to be happy and to end with... Vader thinking that, uh, you know, the apprentice has died, um, until mm-hmm. he'll meet her again. And, and, um, rebels, I think is really beautiful. And yet the, the, there's that slight amount of hope because that Conver is the representation of Ahsoka being alive. And we know that Vader doesn't know that. And so there mm-hmm. is that slight amount of hope that we have as fans knowing that she'll return. And like, I just, I was, I'm continually struck by every time I've seen these episodes, how you can just pause it. And it's like, Oh, I would, I would put that on my wall. I can pause it. Oh, I'd put that on my wall. You know, like (laughs) it is an incredible amount of um, dedication and love that's been poured into this. And I just, you know, if you're, if you're a part of the uh, Clone Wars family and you worked on the Clone Wars and you're listening to this, um, anyone that thank you because we feel it as fans. And I just want to say thank you to the, you, um, because we love it too. Um, and so thank you for pouring your heart and soul, your blood, sweat and tears, all of it's appreciated. Uh, and thank you for making our dreams come true. Yeah. And, uh, just to, to add on one last thought from me, um, just in terms of that ending, I think that there's a beautiful, farewell to the series and to those of us that have loved it in that final shot because to see Vader walking away in the reflection of the clone helmet I think that there's an added dimension intentional or not of how hard it is to say goodbye to something you love and something that's meant so much and something that has so much uh, importance and you see in that moment I, I I get this sense of sort of, you know, just tipping the hat to the fans and saying the journey's done. We wish we didn't have to go, but we do. And it's, you know, it, it's got that. I think it's got that dimension to it. Absolutely. I think it too, just is like the moment you have with any series like this that you've really become so invested in and that has gone on for so many years I mean, I remember, you know, feeling that way too when the the last episode of The Office came out. Um, mm. you know, I mean, I feel it more with Star Wars, but yeah, definitely feel felt the finality of it and um I felt like it was a fitting end, although like you said, Matt, it wasn't a happy end. It was a it was what we all kind of expected the way it would go. Um and the shot that was the most emotional moment for me, for sure, was Ahsoka standing there looking at all of the helmets. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. she feels 
responsible for them all the way back to when she was a Padawan and first really getting her experience leading them. Um, and she feels the weight of this is my fault and um, I've got to step away. I like that you bring that up, Christy, because when you think about it, one of Ahsoka's crucibles as a young Padawan was the the loss of men in the Y-Wings in the squadron that she was commanding. And she mm-hmm. loses almost all of them. And so for her, this reflects all the way back, you know, now to that, where she still has that same feeling. I think that's that's an incredible pull. Um, so I really Thanks. like that. Uh, I think the last thing I want to talk about with you guys, because I do think it needs to be mentioned, is the fact that... Um, the music in the series is phenomenal. I think every arc, the music was completely taken up on an entire another arc, uh, a notch. And the only thing I wish, I know they released soundtracks for these, but that final arc, um, I really want Disney to give us the entire full soundtrack for all four episodes because it's astounding work. Uh, you can tell that they mm-hmm. use a real orchestra for it um and the way that the the arc goes from being classic star wars descending into this kind of atmospheric blade runner type sound is absolutely perfect and then the way it kind of kind of finds its way back out of that just a little bit in that very last episode it's it's brilliant. I mean, I it's some of my favorite star wars music and I just wish we had access to it because um I think the work that they do here, Kiner, is is phenomenal, um, and it, it deserves to be heard by all Star Wars fans. Um, mm-hmm. And it, just like the best of Star Wars, the music in this this especially this last arc was the oxygen of the episodes, and it it deserves to be heard. So, yeah, I I, I agree. I, I think that they should release the whole soundtrack. I think that they should release. Uh, this as a standalone film. I'd love to see a version of it as a standalone film with a title crawl put in just for, you know, just for giggles. Um, I want action figures, you know, off of this because this is, uh, I, I feel it's awkward not to have paid individually to see this. I know I pay for the Disney plus subscription and everything, but it feels awkward not to have paid for this in the sense that this is and I'm including the music with this this is the single greatest Star Wars film at least since the year 2005 and it it it, it outstrips everything that's um that that has come out otherwise uh that's been a film and I paid real good hard-earned American dollars uh to see those films in theaters and this one was just like here you go. It's part of your subscription that's cheaper than a movie ticket. And it's like, I almost feel, I almost feel like I should have to donate something because I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I don't feel right getting art for free like this. So I feel like maybe I should, you know, donate somewhere. I don't know. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm with both of you as well. Um, it's funny because I don't usually just sit and listen to scores and soundtracks, but this is one that it absolutely was the oxygen. And I mean, for sure in the, you know, lightsaber duels, it was absolutely awesome. 
So I, I would love to get all of it as well. And Matt, you know, if you see it happening, send us all a text. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I, I will Let's win that. Kevin Kiner an Emmy for his yeah. his work on here. For That'd music. be great. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't even think we need to rate this. I think we people already understand that um, these are fives. You know, this season's a five. I mean, I was going to say a two, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. Unexpected, Christy. Very unexpected. <laughs> uh, she took your unexpected thing and ran with it. Um, there John. you go. Subverting um, my expectations exactly. on ratings. <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, it's, I, I mean, yeah, I think, I think the, the two hours that we've been talking, we, we've said it all. And, um, you know, we could, Obviously, continue to to continue to talk about this for another you know two or three hours, but we don't have that kind of time. So, uh, John, I really want to say thank you so much for joining us. It's always really fun to have you in the Six Hundred Two Club, and you know, my one of my favorite things of, of having you here is you know we met because of Star Wars and the Six Hundred Two Club. So it's always special when we mm-hmm. get to do the thing that brought us together in in this show so uh let everybody know where they can catch up with you if they want to talk about the clone wars ad nauseum because well that's that's where we're going to be for i i I suspect for years to come (laughs) yeah uh look for kessel junkie uh on your social media network of choice uh i'm stuck on twitter but like a heroin addict i'm looking for a methadone so i might be jumping platforms sometime soon i don't know um, you can also find me over on Letterboxd, where I I love to uh, to rate movies and have a penchant a penchant for watching uh, terrible ones, and sometimes I have fun writing those reviews. Uh, but then, of course, you can find me over on the Nerd Party. Uh, there's a secret project coming out in summer 2020 that I, I hope you'll enjoy. I can't can't divulge what yet, uh, but I'm also there full time uh, co-hosting with Matt. Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast that we think is pretty neat. It's not too bad. It's all right. (laughs) We do what we can. (laughs) It's no sabers and spells, but we do what we can. Oh, thanks. Uh, And like he said, uh, you can find me on a a couple of other shows aside from 602 Club. Uh, I do sabers and spells with my friend Teresa. And we uh, hopefully on our next episode, we are going to be talking about Star Wars fashion that's come out recently. There was a Clone Wars collection um, and many other things. So stay tuned for that. And uh, I do a segment called Fashion in Five on the Star Wars Report once a month. And you can find me personally on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell. Uh, and uh, if you are, you know, maybe you're into Star Wars fashion and you're on her universe and you see those, uh, you know, Ahsoka track jackets coming back into uh, stock, please let me know because I need one. Um, and uh, you can also uh, hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Vero under the name MattRushing02 to, to tell me you found them and that they're back on sale. Uh, you can also find me here on the network doing the orb with Chris Jones talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Over on the Nerd Party Network, I'm not just doing aggressive negotiations with John. I'm also doing Owl Post with Dre Kaufman as we talk about Harry Potter each and every week. And we are wrapping up, finally, the Half-Blood Prince as we make our way now into the Deathly Howls, which is really exciting. And last but not least, uh, we're hoping to be back soon with this virus stuff. We have not been able to record because we record in person uh, cinema stories uh, with Courtney, my friend, where we talk about films through the lens of faith. But... 
Thank you so much for joining us. And don't choke on your aspirations, you hear? 